You're listening to the Sub-25 Podcast. Sub-25 is the college and young adult ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church. Our mission is to see the college campuses, workplaces, and communities around Birmingham changed by the power of the gospel. Here's this week's message. Amen. Um, You know, revival, when we look throughout history, when revival has taken place, it is often in the, uh, it's in the wake of brokenness. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you desire to see revival, understand that something can only be revived if it's been vived, if it's been alive. And so when we're crying out for a fresh work of God, we're crying out that he would do something. And I hope that your prayer is that God would do that in you. But, but I will say this, that revival often happens in the wake of brokenness. And we come to a passage tonight that if we're going to be honest, um, in many of us, it, it may produce that. It, it may produce brokenness. And tonight we're going to go to the word and, and we see that the word, it, it convicts us, it challenges us, and, and, and it cuts us. But, but the cutting that takes place is not a cutting to harm, but a cutting to heal. Some of you, you've been in surgery before and there was cutting that took place, but the cutting had a purpose. The, the, the pain had a purpose. It was to heal. And tonight we're going to go into the, to the, the operating room, if you will, and we're going to sit under God's word. This is not my idea, my opinion. We're going to let the word do what it does. God will use it. But I'm just saying that some of us are going to get cut tonight because there's some things that God wants to cut out of our life so that he can bring about what we just sang about. That if we truly want to see God do a work in us and in our land, some cutting has to take place. And so I want to approach tonight's passage with, uh, with caution. And I want to, to warn you that what we're going to read, that, that, that God, he's, he's going to get in our face and he's going to tell us some things. And it's going to hurt a little bit, but there's a purpose in that. And so we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Thursdays, I love Thursdays, obviously, because we get to gather, we get to worship, we get to study the word. It's an important, it's an important moment for us. It's also an important moment at the Terry house because it's trash day and we got to get our trash out. And over the past month, I have missed two Thursdays because I didn't put the trash out. Our trash guy, we love our trash guy. Our son, he loves the trash man. He likes to see the truck come by and he likes to watch the trash go in. But here's the thing. We don't know when he's coming. He's supposed to come on Thursday and it used to be he would come real early in the morning and you could hear him. We'd be laying in bed and here comes the trash guy. He doesn't come in the morning anymore. And sometimes he's coming in the afternoon. And so again, there's been some times where we had a bunch of trash and we just missed it. We weren't sure. And so we're getting to the point where Hey, when Thursday comes, we got to be ready at any moment for this trash guy to come and pick up our trash. Otherwise, we're just left with with all these trash bags. Thankfully, we have two trash cans. Here's why I even say that. We're in a series called The Return. We're talking about the return of Christ. We're talking about how Christ, he could come, and we don't know when he's coming. We We don't know when he's coming. He could come back tonight. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back years from now. But you know what? We need to be ready. We need to be ready for when he is coming. And so tonight, we're going to look at a passage. And, 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 and my, my goal is for us to view Christ's return. And, and because of that, we would pursue purity. 
Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read eight verses here. Paul writes, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. Verse seven, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, as we study this passage, I pray that you'd speak to us. Father, we come to a very hard passage where we're confronted with some things And Lord, I pray that that as we look at this passage, that you would reveal to us the areas of our life that don't look like this. And Lord, I pray that, that when tonight is over, that we would fall back on your mercy and your grace, leaning in your power and strength to live the life that you've called us to live. And so Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So in view of Christ's return, We need to pursue purity. Uh, Last week, we talked about two judgments that would take place in in the future. The judgment seat of Christ where Christians will stand before Christ and the great white throne judgment where unbelievers will stand. And and Paul, he has referenced Christ's coming. He he referenced it twice uh, or or once in chapter 3, another time in chapter 2. And we see that he's going to reference it again later on in chapter four. So we see that what Paul is saying here is kind of sandwiched between a conversation of Christ's coming. And there are many issues in our world where where a non-believer, a non-Christian would agree with Christianity. There there are many issues, but the the one that we're talking about tonight is, is typically not one that is agreed upon. Let me give you an example. So uh, if, if we were to talk to some people who don't believe in the Bible, they don't believe in Christianity, they would most likely still suggest that we should care for the needy. We should care for the poor. Uh, that's why we see so many celebrities, they will gravitate towards a charity, a cause, and they'll, they'll give money to that. Because again, Christian or not, that they recognize, hey, we should do that. We should care for those. We, we want to provide clean water for those who don't have clean water. We want to provide food for those who, who don't have food. For those who don't have access to an education, we want to provide that. That's, that's not argued about in regards to Christianity or not Christianity. I think we would, we would all agree that we should co- show kindness and respect I think we could agree upon that, whether somebody believes the Bible or not. Hey, we, we need to treat people kindly. No matter somebody's opinions or views, they should be respected. I think we would agree on that. We should promote equality for all peoples. Now, I believe the church should, should really wave that banner, but, but again, this is something that non-Christians would agree on. This list goes on and on. However, Purity and holiness is a distinctive of Christianity that most non-Christians do not embrace. 
This is one of those that when we bring this into the conversation, somebody that does not follow God's word is just, they're just not gonna agree with this. In fact, if you pursue a life of purity, especially sexual purity, you will often find yourself mocked and ridiculed in the society that we live in. In movies and shows, Hollywood seems to mock at those who choose sexual purity. It's not by chance or happenstance that that if you look at your favorite show or something that you're watching a movie, that the person who is seeking to live a life of sexual purity that they are often made to look stupid, like an idiot, like they're not all there. It's not by happenstance. This is a society we live in. In the past, prominent figures such as Tim Tebow has been openly mocked because of his choice to remain a virgin until he was married. You can look at articles, many of you saw this several years ago, commentators, blogs, people who who would ridicule him for a desire to follow God's word and to stay sexually pure. A few years ago, uh, Vice President Mike Pence was criticized because he would not meet in one-on-one meetings with women. He was not gonna put himself in a room with just him and another woman because he wanted to protect his wife. He He wanted to protect whoever he's meeting with He also wanted to protect himself. He wanted to look at God's word and say, I I, I want to protect my purity. He's mocked for that. He's ridiculed for that. Throughout his life, Billy Graham followed a similar, similar rule. He would not place himself in a situation where it was just him and a woman. We can read stories about how he would be on an elevator and and there would be a woman that would step on. And so he would politely excuse himself, step off so that that woman could go to where she was going. He, He did not want to put himself in a position where he could fail in the area of sexual purity. And we see that over and over again, when people choose this, that they're ridiculed for it. They're mocked for it. Some of you have been mocked because of your stance on sexuality and and your desire to follow God's word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is urging the Thessalonian Christians to pursue purity and holiness. Now, before we look at verse 1 in chapter 4, let's go back to chapter 3 starting verse 12 and 13, we see a prayer. And we said this last week, this is a prayer that Paul is praying over these believers. And he says this in chapter three, verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So Paul's desire is that these Christians in Thessalonica, that that one day they will stand before Christ, holy and mature. He wants them to stand before Christ, having having been pure, living a life of purity and holiness. Last week, we, we saw that every believer one day will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, I'm referring to Christians. And at that judgment, we will not be judged for our sin because that took place on the cross, but we will be judged for our service to Jesus Christ. And Paul understands that this is going to take place in the Thessalonians' lives, in those Christians. And he wants them, when they stand before Christ, that they can say, man, we didn't didn't live a perfect life, but man, we pursued holiness and purity. 
And Paul wants this group of believers to live this life. And it's worth noting that in this prayer, in verse 12 and 13, that that Paul, he recognizes that this is something that God must do in their lives. He pleads with God that God would be the one that establishes their hearts, that God would be the one that produces this. And it's with this that we come to verse 1 in chapter 4. And just so that we're on the same page, uh, verses 1 through 8, Paul is writing to Christians. And so if you came tonight and maybe this is your first time, you're just checking out Christianity, checking out church. I'll be honest, this passage, it, it, it's, it's not for you, at least not right now. I'm glad that you're here, but this is really for the believer in the room. This is kind of a family moment, and I'm glad you get to see it because hopefully you see what God's word has to say. But this is the moment where we're calling the family into the living room because we need to get something straight. And so if you're a believer in the room, this, this is for you. And what that means is that what Paul is saying, what's he, what he's about to say here, it's for the person who has already received salvation. It's not a list of things of do this and don't do this so that you're saved. No, it's, hey, you have salvation. You've experienced the mercy and grace from Jesus. So now that you have new life, live in that new life. And so with this in mind, we come to verse one. Paul says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound. That's the first word I wanna give you tonight. Abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Uh, Tonight, I wanna just give us three words that'll help us frame this passage. And the first one is abound. Paul wants this group and you and I to abound in pleasing the Lord. We are to abound in pleasing the Lord. Paul actually commends the Thessalonians because this is what they're already doing. He says, hey, I want you to keep doing this. Keep going in this direction. It's almost like he's clapping for them and he's saying, you're doing great. Keep going. I have it in my mind that Paul right here, he's like a coach. I don't know if you've ever been on a team where you got in a huddle or you got in a group and the coach said, hey, you guys are doing great. Keep doing that. Keep moving in that direction. And Paul, he's, he's applauding the, the believers in Thessalonica because they are in a crazy city with all kind of wickedness. And he says, hey, keep abounding in this. Keep moving in this direction. I don't know if you've ever ran in a 5K or a race, maybe a half marathon or marathon, but man, there's something about people on the sidelines when they're cheering you on. It just gives you this burst of energy and you see somebody or you hear somebody say, hey, don't give up, don't stop. You're almost there, keep running. And although you're tired and your legs are sore, you just have a little bit more energy to keep going. And this is what Paul is doing. He says, hey, keep abounding in this, keep going. Keep pursuing this. God wants you and I to abound, to excel in walking with him and pleasing him. Now, this is only possible for somebody who's had an encounter with Jesus Christ. It is impossible for somebody to please God who does not have a relationship with God. But what we see is that this is not the first time that Paul has mentioned pleasing God. If you flip back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul, in describing his life and ministry, he says this in verse four, describing who he was as a minister of the gospel. He says, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, 
but God who tests our hearts. Paul is saying, in essence, I'm living my life not to please anybody else, not to please myself, not to please you, but to please God. Did you know that it's possible to be a Christian and to live in such a way that displeases God? If we look at scripture, we see that it's possible to be a Christian and yet to live in such a way that displeases God. If we go back to the Old Testament, we read about a guy named King David. You may know him. He's, he's the guy that we talk about when we say David and Goliath. We see that King David, there was a moment where he commits adultery. And it's followed by several other terrible decisions. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, God's word says, But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. We also would read that David is a man after God's own heart. I, I don't know if there's anybody else in scripture who loved God's word and loved the Lord so much. And yet we see that David displeased the Lord with some of the decisions that he made. If you're a Christian, it's possible for you to live in such a way that displeases the Lord. Ephesians 4 verse 29 and 30 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, Paul is writing to Christians and he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Hey, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but as a Christian, it's possible for you to grieve the Holy Spirit, for you to grieve the Father. If Christ returned tomorrow and you stood before him at the judgment seat of Christ, would he be pleased with the life that you're living in surrender to him? Or would he be grieved? Would his heart hurt because of the things that you've chosen, the things that go against him, the things that go against his holiness that we just sang about? We just sang about how God is holy and how he is worthy. The question is, is he worthy enough for you to live a holy life? It's possible as a Christian to have received the gift of salvation and to yet still be choosing to live for your flesh. I love my boys so much. They're not here tonight. They're at home with, uh, with, with grandparents, but I, I, I love them so much. And I was thinking about this. There will come a day when either I find out or they come up to me and they say, Dad, I messed up. And, and, it, and it will grieve my heart. And, and it will grieve my heart. And it grieves me even thinking about this because, because I don't want them simply to not mess up so that they live a perfect life. I don't want them to mess up because it's not good for them. But there will come a day when they have to come to me and they say, Dad, I messed up. And guess what? My love for them will not change. I will continue to love them. It will not change. In fact, from my human standpoint, I will probably love them more and more and more and more. But there will come a day when they grieve me. When I recognize or I find out that they've chosen the way of the world that they've made a poor decision, a decision that, that will bring about consequences in their life that will bring about pain and suffering to a certain extent. And it will grieve my heart because I will know that that didn't have to happen. 
My love for them will not change, but my heart will be grieved. And as Christians, we have a father who is looking down on us in love. But some of us are grieving him right now. Some of us are grieving the heart of our father because the life that we're not, the life that we're living is not the life he intended us to live. And it's a life that will bring about pain into our life, but it's also a life that does not reflect who he is. And he is holy. And he has called his children to live holy, not to earn salvation, not to keep salvation, but to reflect who he is, to reflect his glory. Verse two says, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We abound in pleasing the Lord when we obey his word, when we take the word and when we read it and study it. And when, we, when we're confronted with God leading us in a direction, when, when we say yes to that, that pleases God. And, and Paul is saying, abound in this. Abound in following God. Abound in obeying his word. Paul has already communicated God's word to these believers. And, and he knows the temptations. He knows that they are tempted in the society that they are in. And he knows that there's all sorts of wickedness. All kinds of things that will pull their eyes in a direction other than the word. But he says, hey, you remember we, we communicated to you God's word. Abound in that. Keep going that direction. And some of us tonight... We need to get back to the word. We're, we're saved. We're sealed. But we're grieving the heart of God because we're not living this out. And yes, it'll bring about pain in our life. But it's bringing about pain in the father's heart. Because the very things that we are choosing to disobey and the things that we are allowing into our life are the very things that put Jesus on the cross. It's the very sins that he said, hey, I'll take that sin on me. And how can we say that we love God and continually to throw that sin on the cross? I'm not asking you to live a perfect life. I'm just saying we need to live a life of purity. We need to live a life of purity. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We don't just display our love by singing songs like we did a minute ago. Man, I love singing. I love declaring God's praise. But we don't just show our love for God by, by, by singing that with all of our heart. We declare our love for God by obedience to him, by, by obeying his word. By, by listening to what he says and following his direction. Look at verse three. Paul continues to write and he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And you know, God's word is surprisingly clear about his will for your life. People often say, well, I, I, I wanna know what God's will for my life is. And we see that God has actually revealed that in his word. I think that what some of us mean is we wanna know what are the details of our life? What is the plan that God has planned for me? Because God is very clear about his will for your life. And we see that in this passage. This is one of many passages where God reveals explicitly clear what his will is, what he desires for you and I to live out. An aspect of God's will for your life involves sanctification. Sanctification is a big fancy word. The root of this word is the same word 
for the word saint and the word holy. Each of these words express the same idea from different aspects. And this, it, it, it's this idea of being set apart. This idea of being set apart from the, the wickedness of the world, from the sinfulness of the world. A saint is a person who is set apart by God from the world. Now, now, throughout history, we would refer to somebody as Saint so-and-so, Saint Peter, Saint Thomas. But the Bible refers to all Christians as saints. Why is that? Because all Christians, God has set them apart. He has set them apart from the world. That's the word saint. The word holy is an adjective that describes Somebody or something that has been set apart. And the word sanctification is that process of being set apart. When somebody places their faith and trust in Jesus, when they recognize that their sin has set them apart from God and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, what we see is that we enter into a relationship with God and God sets us apart from the world. He sets us apart. It's this idea of sanctification. It begins at salvation, but scripture would suggest that sanctification is an ongoing process that God is working out in a believer's life to continually set them apart from the ways of the world. I often say that sanctification is the process of us becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Where the ways of the world, sinfulness, it becomes more wicked and vile in your eyes. Where the things that maybe used to satisfy you, now they don't seem to satisfy you because why? You have a relationship with Jesus and he's working in your heart. And as you spend time with Jesus, the things that matter to him begin to matter to you. Have you ever noticed that when you get around some that's a healthy eater, you begin to look at your food a little bit different. You begin to recognize that, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have had five Krispy Kreme donuts for breakfast. And the pizza that I'm eating right now, uh, as I look at the, the person's salad across from me, I kind of realize, you know, I may be making some poor decisions in my life. And as you begin to spend time with people like that, you begin to look at things differently. And as we begin to walk in our relationship with Jesus, sin, it begins to look uglier. And it begins to look more vile and more putrid. Why? Because we can see clearly because we're walking with Jesus and we're spending time with him. And this process of sanctification is taking place in our life. And this is an aspect of God's will for your life, that he wants you to be set apart, continually set apart. He wants to continue setting you apart from the sinfulness and wickedness of this world so that he can use you to accomplish his purposes in the world. He wants to work through you. So if we want to pursue purity and holiness, first off, we should abound in pleasing the Lord through obedience to his word. But secondly, we need to abstain. God's word is very clear. We need to abstain from sexual immorality. This is what God's word just said, that an aspect of sanctification, of not participating in something because of the wickedness that's involved there. If we dive into the original language of the New Testament, we find that the phrase sexual immorality is the Greek root word pornea. Pornea. Does that sound familiar to anybody? 
Pornea, as we know it, sexual immorality, encompasses any improper sexual activity. And when I say improper, I'm defining it based off of what God's word would say. That God's word would list that there are certain activities that are improper for a Christian to participate in. It's not a list of do this so that you can become a Christian. It's a, hey, you're a Christian, so don't do that. That's essentially what we see in God's word. And here's a list, a non-exhaustive list that we would see in scripture that we would classify as improper sexual activity. And it's at this point that I would say, if you disagree with me, you're disagreeing with God's word. And so don't throw stones at me. I'll try to catch them if you do. The list is this, any kind of premarital sex also known as fornication, would be sexual immorality. Homosexuality would be sexual immorality. Bisexuality, adultery, pornography. And then I would, in a broader sense, simply include the word lust. And I believe that this would encompass everybody, that there's probably not a thing in this list that some of us, all of us, I would assume, have struggled with in the past or are currently struggling with now. Now, before we move forward, I wanna be clear. If you've participated in any of these activities, which as I just mentioned, I think we hit everybody with this. I want you to understand that God's love for you is so much greater than you could imagine. His love for you is so much greater, but these are things he does not want in your life. He doesn't want them in your life. First off, because he knows that it will not bring what you think it'll bring. Secondly, it hurts his heart. It hurts who he is. And if you are a believer, you're called to reflect him. And it is impossible to reflect him with these in our life. I'm glad my boys aren't here tonight. So here we go. Procreation is a gift from God. Uh, it was God's intention that a man and a woman should connect intimately through sex in marriage. However, humanity has taken this gift from God, which if we believe that God created everything, then that means that he created marriage. He created the intimacy that takes place within marriage. But guess what we've done? And we read this in Romans chapter one. If you have time later, read Romans chapter one. We've taken the gift and we've perverted it. We've distorted it. We've removed God from it. And we've said, hey, thanks for the gift. I'm gonna do with it what I want with it. And in doing this, we have rebelled against God. It's almost impossible to watch movies, TV shows, or simply drive down the road without seeing a billboard or hearing something on the radio that twists the intentionality that God has, has, has created for intimacy between a man and a woman. We live in a sex-crazed society. Sex is like a, a fire and it is burning up so many people's lives. You see, when, when fire is in the fireplace of marriage, it is a good thing, it provides warmth. But when we say, hey, I'm gonna get the fire out of the, out of the fireplace of marriage, anything, Anything it touches, it changes and it burns and it hurts. And so first off, and I'm not gonna go in the list of these sexual immoralities, but I'm just saying that 
sexual immorality should not take place in the believer's life. That would include premarital sex. Pornography seems harmless to some because it doesn't seem to be affecting anyone. However, the majority of those on the computer screen that, that, that somebody would look at, we need to understand that most of the time that person is trapped. Most of the time that person is in a situation that they cannot get out of. They're in a situation that they would love to be set free from, but they are being exploited by those who would click. And so their slavery continues to go on. Over the past 10 years, we've become extremely aware of the wicked sex trafficking that takes place all over the world, including our city and our state. And we partner at the here at Gardendale First Baptist with, with several people and organizations that work with women who've been trafficked. We work to get them out. But some of you, uh, there's something that you can do to help the sex trafficking that's taking place. Here's what you can do. Stop looking at porn. It's one of the greatest things you can do if you want to see it stopped. Because with every click, you're affirming it. With every click, you're affirming and you're continuing sex trafficking. Because many of the women that somebody would go on to look, they are enslaved. And a great thing for all of us to say is, hey, I'm not going to look at that because it is hurting somebody else. So although in the, in the isolation that you may view pornography in and you may say it's not hurting anybody, I can assure you it is hurting somebody. And, and, and if thinking about the pain that somebody else is going through on the other side of the screen isn't enough, it is hurting the heart of God. There is a father who is looking down at a son or at a daughter and his heart is hurting because you're partaking in poison. You're partaking in something that promises pleasure and it simply leaves pain. You can live in denial, but, 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 but looking at porn is like intaking cancer and it eats you from the inside out. I don't mean to make light of this situation, but yesterday my sister-in-law's dog had a seizure. I love dogs. Um, and the dog is, is, is fine now, so I can, I can mention this. And uh, they, they, they ran some tests on, well, why did, this, why did this dog have a seizure? Had to go to the vet hospital. And they ran some tests and they found out well, it's because the dog ate something. And they're like, well, what, what did the dog eat? Well, your dog ate some marijuana. I'm like, what kind of walks are y'all going on? They live in a pretty big city and they're just walking around and apparently the dog got into some marijuana. For some reason, the dog keeps wanting to go back to Main Street. Anyways, the dog is fine, but here's why I say this. Some of us are partaking in something and although nothing has happened yet, our life seems to be like it's a little bit in control. I can promise you that if you wait long enough, it's gonna bring about some pain. It's gonna bring about some issues, some confusions in your life. If we wanna pursue purity and holiness, we need to abstain from sexual immorality. And I know there are many other things that we could talk about, but let's keep going very quickly here. Verses four, or verse four Paul says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The vessel that Paul's referring to is your body. 
Uh, you should exhibit self-control. As a believer, you should, be, you should be in control because you've submitted control to the Holy Spirit. So the self-control that you have is ultimately control that you've given to the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you do not control your flesh, your flesh, I can assure you, will control you. And some of us right now that are struggling would be wise to no longer get on social media. Call me a weirdo for saying that. You may, you may, people may think you're a weirdo by, I'm gonna get off my social media. Everybody that I talk to that struggles with sexual immorality has a problem with social media. So if you wanna avoid that or if you wanna get clean, get off of it. We all know, we could sit here and talk for a long time about all the wicked and vile things that show up. Listen, I know there's some great things out there. Some of you do a great job using your social media, pointing people to Christ. But some of you, it's killing you. It is like a grenade waiting to go off in your pocket. You're not even looking for it. And then you're scrolling or you click on a video and, and it's got you. It's like, it's like the enemy went fishing and he said, well, I'm gonna use this kind of bait tonight. And he threw out, got him. And, 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 and you're experiencing the pain of that. And you'd be wise to say, I'm done. I'm not gonna, I, I, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna participate in it because it's causing you to stumble. Other things could be in this category. Certain Netflix shows, certain YouTube videos, I'm not being a legalistic. I'm simply saying there are some things that shouldn't be in our life. We are purchased children of the father and he loves us and he's called us to follow him. And that means that I can't go that way. That's the world's way. My father's this way. I'm gonna walk with my father, which means I have to walk away from something else. But some of us are walking this way, thinking it will satisfy, thinking it will provide us something it's only gonna bring about pain. Verse five, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul says, listen, there are unbelievers who are acting like unbelievers. Don't act like that because you're not an unbeliever. Some of us in this room are acting like unbelievers. I don't have anybody in my mind, but some of us, I would assume with this many people who have said, I'm gonna follow Christ. If we're being honest, we may be saved, but we're living like the world. We're living like dead men. Christ has brought us to life, but we're not living in that life. We're living like people who do not know God. People who do not know God walk in the way of the world, but people who know God are called to walk with their father. And this is what Paul is saying. Don't live like them. Verse six, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, we defraud or transgress our brother and our sister when we take something that doesn't belong to us. Pornography, you are taking something from somebody that doesn't belong to you. You're defrauding them. In adultery, a person selfishly takes something that doesn't belong to them. In premarital sex, somebody takes something that does not belong to them. And as believers, God's word says, don't be a part of it. Don't be a part of it. Do not do that. Hurts the heart of God. Ladies, if you're dating a guy and he wants to show you his love by sleeping with you, do not believe him because it's not love that's talking. If he's not your husband, it's not love that's talking, I can assure you that. I've talked to enough guys, and guys, we, we both know, it's not love, it is lust. 
Ladies, if your guy is saying that, I would encourage you obviously to say no. And personally, and I have a pretty strong stance on this, some of the things that I say to the younger students, I would say don't date him. Not, not unless he's got accountability in his life and he's pursuing Christ. Guys, we all have moments of weakness, but ladies, if that's something that he continually says to you, don't date that guy because he doesn't care about you. He cares about one thing. He may say he cares about other things, but he does not. In the middle of verse six, Paul says, the Lord is the avenger of all such. He's the, he's the first avenger, apparently. Uh, you can... You can be certain that if you sin against God in the area of sexual impurity, you will experience punishment. Um, let, me, let me read Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. As Christians, when we choose to participate in immoral activity, we are mocking God. Ha! God, you, you said do this. I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. God says, I will not be mocked. He is holy and he is righteous. Now he is loving and he is merciful and he is kind. But, but in God's order that he has created, he has set about consequences that follow when we participate in certain activities. If I lie to you, there are a level of consequences that come with that. If I sleep with a woman other than my wife, we all know that that brings about grave consequences that I will have to deal with for the rest of my life. Does God's love for me change? Nope. Loves me so, so much. Will I have to deal with consequences for the rest of my life? 100%. Will that decision affect many people around me? 100%. Absolutely. God will not be mocked. Verse eight or verse seven says, for God did not call us unto uncleanness, but in holiness. God wants his children to reflect who he is. Last verse, verse eight. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. So, so the word has been spoken. And now what we can, now what we can do is, is, is we can receive it. And as his children, we heard, we heard the instructions from the father and we walk in that. But if we reject it, what Paul says is, is ultimately we're rejecting God. We are rejecting our father. Now, if I had to guess, uh, the majority of us in the room right now either are struggling with, with some of the things I've talked about, have struggled or, or, or will struggle. And verse eight is the key to everything that we've talked about. It's the key to abounding. It's the key to abstaining. Without verse eight, you will not be able to do these. So what is the key? Well, well Paul says it at the end. The key is the Holy Spirit. He, he says that God has given us his Holy Spirit. So if we want to pursue purity and holiness, yes, we abound. Yes, we abstain. But those are possible only when we abide. When we abide. Galatians 5, 16 says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I'm walking in the spirit, if I'm going this way, I can't go that way because I'm going this way. If I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. First John 2, 28, last passage. John says this to a group of Christians. 
He says, and now, little children, abide in him. That when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If Christ came right now, there are many believers in our world who would be ashamed. They would be ashamed at themselves. <laughs> the other night I walked in, or the morning, I walked in and uh, one of my sons was on top of a dresser looking at his brother, just laughing. I opened the door and shame came over his face because he recognized that what he was doing was wrong. I could hear him laughing before I went in. He was enjoying it. But as soon as he saw me, his, his face changed. When Christ appears, there will be believers who are, man, we're, we're, we're living it up, man. But our face will change when we see him because we will recognize that we have been wasting our life living for the things of the world, not walking with the Father, but walking towards the world. 